Good morning. 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, I think we left off on verse number 16. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Chuck, will you give me this fan up here, please? Yeah. All right, Brother Cole, will you have some help in the teaching this morning? Amen. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> we left off on verse 16 here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chain. So right off the bat, you can tell it sounds like a pretty good fellow, doesn't he? And uh, you know, this is one of the ones that loves Paul. His name's Onesiphorus. And... Uh, you notice the ones that love Paul, and when you love individuals, uh, that verse says, He oft refreshed me. He oft refreshed me. So if you're going to read the scriptures, you've got to take the inward look, and you've got to ask yourself the question, the people that you love and that uh, have helped you spiritually, do you oft refresh them? Uh, there's a couple things there. Uh, Paul's asking mercy for that house. Uh, he says, He oft refreshed me. And uh, that's not just once in a while. So that fellow must come around quite a bit. You know, it, we, you might as well go ahead and admit it. We're in Laodicea, and you know who we're concerned about? We're concerned about me. That's Laodicea. We're concerned about me. You get up in the morning, you're concerned about you. Uh, in the middle of the day, you're concerned about you. You go to bed at night, you're concerned about you. So you might as well at least admit where you're at. <laughs> And realize that that thing is going to be against you. So he says, for he off refresh me. <clears throat> and then it, look what he says there at the end of the verse. He wasn't ashamed of my chain. He's not ashamed of Paul's chain. You know what that tells me? There's a bunch of people that were. Um, and that, uh, that shame comes with, uh, with being ashamed of what Paul believes. That uh, shame comes with... Uh, uh, you know, standing for what Paul stood for. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And standing against uh, not only Judaism, but everything else going on in that day. So the question is, is, are you ashamed of what you believe? Beyond that, uh, on a personal illustration, uh, Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed of Paul's problems. Now, we know that Paul was in jail for preaching the gospel, Right? And he was the Lord's prisoner. But is there a chance, uh, is there a chance that uh, Paul had some personal problems too? <laughs> and you know what? Onesiphorus wasn't. He wasn't ashamed of Paul's problems. He wasn't ashamed of the chain. So if you look at that thing, you know, everyone's got baggage, right? Everyone's got a closet full of skeletons. 
I know it's Sunday school. I'm just trying to get you to think first thing in the morning. It's a dangerous thing. <laughs> but you know what? You know what a real friend will do? He'll be your friend whether you got problems or not. And that doesn't mean your friend can solve the problems. It just means he's not ashamed of them. Now, some people, when they get a problem, uh, Christians will run off, never talk to them again. I'm telling you, if that's the case, none of us would ever talk to each other ever again. And, and sometimes when Christians have issues and those things come to light, and maybe they come to light in the community or whatever, or uh, someone's having trouble, it's like, you know, abandoned ship. But Adonisiphorus, he was a good man, and he wasn't ashamed of Paul's chain. And if you take that on a spiritual application, there's a bunch of Christians out here, and they've got some problems. And you're one of them. And uh, a good friend, they'll be your friend whether you got a chain, <laughs> whether that thing's around your neck or not. And uh, but that's pretty good. Are you ashamed of others' chains? Are you ashamed of others' problems? Are you ashamed of others' Does everything really got to be about you all the time? You ever just wake up and literally hate how you are? Hate how you think? Hate how you feel? Now I can understand some days when Paul says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You say you're negative, just negative, negative. Yeah, yeah, I mean, do you some good to have some negative. <laughs> I'm tired of how I think. I'm tired of... How I have to, how I handle things many times, and Onesiphorus, you know, it's like, well, it is what he was. You know, he's my preacher, he's my friend, and he showed me the Lord, he showed me the gospel. You got any friends like that? Just, I mean, they're boneheads for sure. Amen. But you just try to refresh them. You ever try to refresh a bonehead in the Lord? You know what I mean? It's, it's something else, ain't it? And you're up there, you're trying to do your best to refresh them and encourage them, and they're not taking it. But you keep trying to do it, you know. All right, verse 17. He says, but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. That's a good fellow. Sought me out very diligently. Anybody mean anything to you besides your husband or your wife? Anybody uh, you care about anyone else? You got to try to find them? Now, look, I understand sometimes in life you've got to make the difficult separation, so forth and so on, but is there anybody that you care about that helped you with the Lord, helped you spiritually? You try to search out every once in a while? That's an Esophorus. <clears throat> and we talked about this last week, but uh, and, uh, he uh, lives in Ephesus. And uh, although he lives in Ephesus, he's ministering to Paul, and he's ministering to Paul in Rome. That's 28 hours apart. <laughs> <clears throat> but so in uh, verse 16, Anesiphorus ministers to Paul and refreshed Paul before he went to jail. And then in 17 and 18, he ministered to Paul while he was in jail. I don't know. Maybe I'm making a big deal of it, uh, but that's a good friend. That's a good friend. I don't know. I suppose at the end, you go to lay your head down in the tomb that they're going to put you in or they put you to bed with a shovel, and you got a couple of Anesiphoruses by your side, that's all right. Amen. That's a good fellow. And uh, once you look at verse, uh, verse number 18, <clears> the <throat> Bible says, The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Uh, now when you get to this verse here, the Bible rejectors, the Bible commentators, the Bible blockheads, the Bible dingbats, 
you can keep going however you want to do that thing. They say that this day is a white throne judgment, but they don't have enough sense to come in out of the rain even if they were a chicken. But uh, that's because most people believe in a general resurrection and a general judgment. Amen. We'll get some amens out of this one or the other. <laughs> amen. But you know what you know what Bible scholars are? I'll say it. Just I'm just gonna make people they're just stupid. Bible scholars are stupid. Amen? They don't believe the Bible. If you don't believe the Bible, I think you're stupid. <laughs> Amen. Building a big church. <clears throat> they study the scholars, and the scholars are stupid. But when Paul says what he says in verse 18, that day, uh, the day of the Lord, uh, they, that day is the day of the Lord, and Paul's referencing the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. He's uh, Paul saying, Lord, he ministered unto me here. Now, would you please show him mercy and let him reign? During that millennial reign, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about some eternal judgment, like the Bible commentators say. And I give you these things because I think you need to know where the people, where the Bible rejectors trip up. Because where one Bible critic and Bible scholar trip up, they all trip. They all break their neck at the same passages. That's why you can. I've got a. I've passed this out before. There's a. In the New Testament alone, there's, there's over 30 passages that every single new translation mess with, every one of them. And they follow in the footsteps and the skirts of Mother Rome. That's what they do. And when one changes it, they all change it. And uh, so when someone messes with the book, you can guarantee that every new translation on the market is going to mess with it. But Paul saying here, he ministered unto me, show mercy, let him reign in the millennial reign. And uh, like I said, most commentators, they, have a, they believe in a general resurrection, which is just a bunch of hogwash. Even the Southern Baptists, they'll uh, take you over to Matthew 24 and 25 and say that you're, everyone's going to one day stand before the Lord and have their good works weighed and their bad works weighed and put that thing on a scale. That's, uh, that's just retarded is what that is. But Anesiphorus is a believer, and as believers, we don't get judged at the great white throne judgment, do we? Where do we get judged at if we're a believer? Not everybody at once. Where do we get judged at? Judgment seat of Christ. Amen? If you're a believer, you get judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, <clears throat> believers are part of the jury at the great white throne judgment. That's what part you have in the great white throne judgment. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 3, we shall judge angels. So in verse 18, Paul says, The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus. You see, that fellow was a minister. He might not have been a preacher. Maybe he was. Maybe he was a street preacher. He was a minister. And he ministered unto Paul. And Paul says, uh, like he's having a conversation with the Lord and Timothy, he says, thou knowest very well. I mean, this thing was etched in stone. There was a pattern. There it was maintained. It was carefully taken. So Paul wanted the Lord to have mercy on Anesiphor so he could rule and reign. And... Uh, <clears throat> Maybe it's just the older I get, but when I get to the judgment seat of Christ, I want to do well. I do. I want you all to do well, too. And I think of the handful of friends I got, I worry about some of them. Some of the friends that don't go here, I worry about them. Why? Well, you're going to find out sooner, you find out later that if you don't... I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at this thing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's why I worry. You say, well, you know, worries us and shut up. I worry and so do you. I worry about Christians. Don't you? If you don't, you're stuck on yourself. Don't you worry about your kids? <laughs> so I worry about my kids. 
Well, you, you don't have enough faith. Oh, whatever, you neither. Amen. Look at uh, 29, 1 Corinthians 9, all this, you know, high, hyper, hyperbole talk and all this highfalutins. I worry and you worry. Amen. Sometimes too much. Yes, you ought to have faith in God. You ought to trust the Lord, and you ought, you ought to do it more and more every day. Look at 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Now, here it is. This is why I worry about some of my friends. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Uh, that's not. I want the one lawfully. Well, that's a sister passage. I therefore so run, uh, not as uncertainly so find I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it in subjection, lest by any means I may have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So that thing has to do with uh, your, your, your testimony. Go back to Second uh, Timothy. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's all right. The fact that you don't, I have a concern for some of your people that you love in the Lord shows me that all you do is think about yourself. And um, that is Laodicea. That is where we stink and live. I'm tired of it. I wish we could go home. You say, don't you want a, don't you want a, a, a bigger ministry? I can hardly handle the one I got. Amen. I mean, I get up here behind the pulpit, and I'm like, okay, did I put enough time in? Is the Holy Ghost going to reward uh, the time that I put in? And some weeks I feel like, yeah, I put in enough time. And some weeks I feel I put in enough time, and I feel like I'm up here, you know, drowning. And then other weeks I don't put much time, as much time as the last week, and the Lord's all over the thing. All right, Second Timothy, uh, what verse do I want here? I want, uh, stay with me, I'm going to rant. I'm going to run this thing out. There it is, 8, 2, 5, 2 Timothy 2, 5. He says, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive what? That's why I worry about Christians. Because Christians aren't, they're not doing it right. I'm not saying they're not doing it like me. I'm saying Christians aren't doing things the right way. And they're going to get to the judgment seat of Christ, and they're going to stand behind a Nesiphorus, and a Nesiphorus is going to get loaded up. And a lot of Christians are going to get up there, and because they didn't do it right, they didn't do it lawfully, they didn't strive the right way, they didn't keep their body under subjection, the Lord's going to be like, okay, yep, you made it. Now you go sit down over there, and you get nothing. I mean, good Christians, good friends. I believe I'm in the ministry today because of uh, one friend, and I worry about him all the time. All right, <clears throat> so he says, uh, and how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. What a blessing to have that said about you in the Bible, how much you ministered, how much you ministered to somebody else. Now, that'll take care of chapter 1. Uh, we'll jump right into chapter 2 here. And here in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we find out uh, that some changes are taking place. Some changes are taking place. And uh, the first four verses are likened to the ministry of armed warfare. Armed warfare. And uh, the fifth verse, you see the ministry is like to an athletic contest. 
You see that? And then in verse 6, uh, you find the ministry is applied to uh, like a farmer. Those three things, armed warfare, an athletic contest, and a farmer, a vine dresser. And you might remember, we were just over 1 Corinthians 9, but the same three figures are given uh, to the Corinthians, that uh, armed warfare, athletic contest, and a farmer. Now look at verse 1. The Bible says here, it's pretty self-explanatory, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now he's given Timothy something here, and this is something you can bite into and hang on to. And you'll notice uh, he says, be strong in what? In the grace. And not the commandments, right? But be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 also says that we ought to be strong in the Lord. And that should be the goal of every preacher. Every preacher should his goal be strong in the Lord and to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Again, this should be a goal of every preacher that's in any pulpit anywhere that's got the touch or call of God on them that you might be able to impart knowledge to, that others may learn also. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think much of that's going on today. I really don't. Uh, now here in verse 2, you'll notice there has to be some hearing going on. There has to be some hearing. There has to be some biblical education. If you look in verse 2, you notice that all, there's a voice. And there's something being committed from that voice. And there's a student. That's a faithful man, and of course the reason that we do this is why? So we can get a bigger church, <laughs> so people can know us in the community, so we can get our name and lights. No, it's the reason we do it is so we can teach others also. Do you realize here besides pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ, there's one reason why we're here, and it's not to win the world to Jesus Christ. You ever stop and think about that? Now, if you're uh, in love with the Lord and you're in fellowship with the Lord, you'll naturally bear fruit and produce fruit. But the reason we're here is this verse right here, that ye might be, who shall be able to teach others also. How are you going to get that? You're going to have to be a faithful person that hears the voice. Now, there are a lot of, a lot of men today, and I could point them out, and I wouldn't be wrong to point them out. I mean, it'd make their, you know, everybody just mad as a hornet. But there, there are a bunch of men today rearing up a bunch of young preachers, it seems. It seems, but of those handful, um, they're, they're not, they don't seem to be in it for the right reason. You say, what do you mean? Not many of them want to be taught the Word of God. And uh, you have this, whatever is left of the fundamentalist movement, that thing came back through uh, at the early 1900s, fundamentalism. It was opposing Worldliness, it was opposing uh, ecumenicalism, it was opposing atheism. That's when the fundamentalist movement came out with the likes of Bob Jones Sr., uh, Billy Sunday, uh, Mordecai Ham, and all those through there. But not many people today want, uh, want, uh, want to be taught the Word of God. I consider you a rarity, a minority. And that's why our numbers have never really gotten big. First of all, we're in northern Michigan. And number two, if the Lord is going to build this work, he's going to have to handpick and plant people here and move people here. You're not in the days of Hyman Appleman. You're not in the days of Gypsy Smith. You're not in the days of, 
Bob Jones Sr., where you go out and the whole town would show up to your church at the end of the day. They got 25 versions to, to listen to and look to and see. I mean, we even got donuts today. I mean, I, there's probably a group out there, all right, if they got donuts, we're going there. Whew, you know, That's why churches just put a stinking coffee bar in, a barista bar. Some of the bigger ones, they have a Starbucks in there. How could you be a Bible-believing church and have a queer love and Starbucks in there? I don't understand that stuff. Look, I love a quad espresso all day long. I mean, make you sweat, make your blood pressure go through the roof, your ears turn red. You know, I'm good for another 12 hours. But to have a queer-loving, you know, American-hating Starbucks in your church, good grief. And I doubt Duncan's any better, (laughs) even if you like their frozen coffees. But not many of these uh, preachers uh, are wanting, uh, not none of these preacher men are wanting to be taught the Word of God. What I'm saying is this, if you look at these fundy churches, these churches, and I'll say it and I don't care because we don't have enough listens, likes, uh, shares, and subscribes on our channel even matter. But if you listen to this sort of Lord crowd, you know what they're concerned with? It ain't learning the Word of God. You know what they're concerned about? They're concerned about man worship and pumping up the big preacher. And look how many we had today on the buses. And look how many were saved. And look how many we put in the, in the cow tub and baptized, you know. And look at how many. We set new records today. And if you don't have goals in your Christian life, then you're just out of touch. Okay, whatever. The Bible says we're supposed to be here to commit things to faithful men and some faithful women that they might teach others also. You really want to bust the seams out of this place? If we grew that fast overnight, do you know what we would get? We'd get hell on wheels. Uh, This thing's a process, and we may never get more than what we got. And uh, I'm just thankful for that there's somebody here. Amen? And there's so much of this man of God worship going on. Uh, You got this raised platform stuff. I call it full of monkeys. When the Lord called me to preach here, we had, uh, we had two pews in the back there. Remember that? The two pews, and then we had some chairs, and then I'd sit up there, you know. I'm the pastor, you know. And then you get the song leader, the song leader. And, and then I had one fellow up there, and every time uh, gals would get up to sing a special, I was like, I'm catching them looking at their behinds. I was like, this is jacked up, man. Just nuts. Say, so what'd you do? Got rid of the pews got rid of the chairs, and got off the platform. Amen. Why you got to sit up there like a bunch of owls, man? Who, who? You know, I see some, I know, I'm just kicking over every god these guys got. And I'm not, look, we're not picture straightening either. I'm not saying, if you don't do it like we do, then you're wicked. I'm saying, I'm sick and tired of seeing these uh, churches and they got everybody and their brother sitting up on the platform and the guy's up there and he's trying to shell the corn you got one guy on his phone up here and you got one guy trying to write a sermon or you, you see you got a dozen of them idiots up there it's man worship look at me I have a spot on the platform really you sit down there and listen to the preaching and you're right with God you buzzard but that man of God stuff going on it's ridiculous I like what the old preacher brother Lynch said Instead of trying to be a man of God, why don't you just focus on being God's man? You notice, I'm not talking about people that are overlooking stuff, but you notice people serious about this stuff, they won't sit up there. They're not, 
Okay, I had to refocus there. You know, you know, I believe some of these guys in these have these big works and that, and they stand up there and preach, and they give an invitation. I want you to get this picture. You put yourself in my shoes. Say, no, thank you. <laughs> you put yourself in my shoes. What if you had 25 to 30 people up here bowing at your feet? You see what I mean? For an invitation? That's a man of God stuff is what that is. Ought to focus on being God's man. There sure is a big difference. But I am very thankful, enough of that, um, you know, hellish exhaust there, uh, for the few men that God's put in my path that are willing to sit and learn this book. Ladies, don't misunderstand me. I appreciate you too. But I'm going to tell you what, it's these young men that are going to learn something and get the job done. Amen? And uh, if God can get a hold of your heart, he'll take this book and he'll go to places I can never go. He'll deal with people I'll never see, and he'll work through you in a way where he'll never work through me. And that's what we need. We need men. And we know, there's always, we know there'll always be more women around than men. Why? Because women always seem to have more spiritual sense than men. Amen? Women are smarter than chickens. Amen? Amen. And... Uh, most chickens don't even have enough sense to come out of the rain, and neither do the men. But women will always, there will always be more women in the church than men because they have more spiritual sense than men. Not only that, but the attack is on the man. But we have some men here, and what we need is the Lord to send more men to do the work. You want to pray for something? Not only pray that the Lord's will to be done, pray that God would send more men. I mean, men with a backbone. They're not worried about sleeping on the couch because they know how to rule their home. Amen. Stay with me, ladies. If, you, if your man is that sorry that you can bark and he's like, oh, and you got whatever, you know. You married an eel. No backbone. <laughs> now, I'm not saying I do everything right and uh, God knows I don't. My wife knows I don't. My children know I don't. But man, there's enough, uh, there's enough banny rooster in me. To, you tell me what to do, there will be a fight. I'm a man. I'm not always right, but I'm a man. And if I sleep on the couch because my back hurts and I can't get comfortable when I'm on my own bed. Amen? But, uh, where in the world did that come from? Here we go. We do have some men here that love the Lord and love the book, and that's what y'all need to pray for. Amen? Men, that the Lord would send men here. I mean real men, men that love the Lord, men that love the King James Bible. How about this? Pray for men that love preaching. How about men that aren't afraid to get their hands dirty? You see the, the caliber of men these days? Yeah, I know you do. You see, you're all around them. Their hands are so clean it's ridiculous. There ain't a callus on their hand at all. You see what I mean? You say, oh, do you have to have calluses to be a man? No, but it might be a badge of honor if you had one. Even if you only get it when you rake leaves, amen? <laughs> but men that love the Lord, men that love the King James Bible, and men that are willing to get their hands dirty. But our reason for all this is found in verse 2, like we said. Look one more time. Let's refocus again. They might teach others also. That's the reason. That's the purpose. Not to build a big ministry. Now, the devil, he sure is uh, deceitful. Because he'll get you thinking that if we grow numerically, then we are more successful. 
But that thing is, that thing's a pitfall right out of hell to believe that gain is godliness. Do you believe the Lord's blessed you where you're at? Do you believe the Lord has you where he wants you? Then godliness with contentment is great gain. Would you rather have that or would you rather have a building full of people, of talking heads? You see what I mean? All right, <clears throat> but our reason is found in verse 2, that they might teach others also not to build a big ministry, of course, not get some big name, and that's not an excuse to not do the work. Listen, from day one, I, I, I'm not trying to prove, I'm just trying to give you my heart and be transparent. From day one, I wanted to street preach. We actually had a dry run and it failed, remember? We had like a dozen people out and it rained. And we're like, okay, I guess we're not. So we went and ate Chinese, remember? It was great. We got all together. I even had some people come from uh, uh, Traverse City. Oh, we're going to street preach. And I sent the letter in to the, uh, pro oh, what is it, the prostitute or prosecuting attorney and uh, 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 some lawyer. And I had um, another lawyer. I mean, I, we were all cleared in hot. We're going to go in there, and, and uh, we're good, and everybody knew we were coming. And it rained. You say, how long ago was that? That was like 2017 or 18. But seven years we're here before we even were able to go out on the streets. I mean, I'm a street preacher. That's where I cut my teeth. That in the nursing home, big difference. Well, maybe not. <laughs> but man, I want to street preach. So uh, the Lord, after seven years, let us go out on the streets and hold signs and pass out tracts. Isn't that a blessing? But it sure wasn't going to happen the first seven years because I'd have been the only one out there doing it. <laughs> All right, now here we go. Not to show off and say, look what we're doing, but verse 2 says that they may teach others also. So these men that Paul are talking about, number one, uh, there must be hearing. They've got to be able to hear it. And Paul says, the things which thou hast heard. And that's why you need to not only read your Bible and study your Bible, but you need to get under the preaching so you can hear it. Hear it. And of course, you know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Number two, there must be a student. Now, this is where some of us are going to fall off the track. And maybe this is, if you take nothing out of this today, maybe you say, okay, I need to once again scoot up to the student's desk. Because once you push away from the student's desk, you're done learning. See what I mean? Once you think you become the teacher and you've been doing this long enough, then the Holy Spirit shuts off the light and you stay right where you're at until you're once again willing to go up to that student's desk. That's what we need to be as Christians, as Bible believers. Not the teacher, but the student. You say, but you're teaching. Yeah, I get it. It's my office, right? I'm supposed to teach. But still, in my learning, I am a student every single day. And if you want to learn, if you want to know why things get shut off in your mind and in your heart, Maybe you've pushed away from the student's desk. Maybe it's time to put, put your uh, blessed assurance back in the chair and say, all right, Lord, I, I need to be the student. Will you teach me once again? So there must be a student. And then number three, that's the student, by the way, of verse two, that's faithful men. And then number three, there must be a reason. And, of course, you know we just said the reason was to teach others also. All right, let's grab verse number three. Here we get into a great military passage. Great military passage. The Bible says here, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
And there are some things in the Bible that we're going to have to learn to endure. We preach a little bit about this on uh, Wednesday, excuse me, Wednesday night. Battlefield conditions, you have to learn to endure some things. And as a soldier of Jesus Christ, I'll tell you what, I don't want to be killed in action. I don't want to be AWOL. Uh, when God uh, gets to handing out rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, I'd like to get some bronze stars, maybe some purple hearts, maybe some iron crosses, maybe some uh, medal of honors, right? And um, the old preacher tells a story about, uh, you may have heard it before, it's, a, it's, it's funnier when he tells it, but uh, this little girl on the plane going to, uh, from California heading northeast somewhere, and behind her was a recruit right out of boot camp, and he was all dressed to the nines, you know, and had a little fire watch on him and all his little ribbons and medals there, and he's sitting there with all those ribbons and fancy uniform, and his hair was all, you know, you know, high and tight and cut, just looked like a killing machine, you know, in a, a good uniform, and this little girl kept turning around, kept turning around looking at him and staring at him as mo her mother was getting all over, and and finally, she said, it's not a problem, ma'am. This little girl kept turning around, and, and uh, finally, the recruit was very kind and said, don't worry, ma'am, she's not bothering me. And the little girl said, sir, can I ask you a question? And he said, uh, go ahead, go ahead, you can do that. He says, how in the world did you get all those medals? And he uh, didn't know what to say, so he said, well, in the Marine Corps, they just give them to us. And she said, well, that's funny. In the Girl Scouts, we got to earn ours. <laughs> Amen, and that's how it's going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. You're not, going to, you're not going to get up to the judgment seat of Christ, and the Lord's not just going to give you a bunch of stuff you didn't earn. You're going to have to earn it. You see what I mean? And you're going to have to earn it. And verse 3 says, if you'll be a good soldier for Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to endure hardness. And one way to get some of them rewards is just to endure hardness of the battlefield conditions. Now, if you'll be a good soldier for Jesus Christ, uh, the Bible says it has... Great retirement benefits, amen? You ever read Revelation 21 and 22? I mean, they are literally out of this world, amen? Great retirement benefits. And uh, I'll tell you what, it'll, um, uh, it'll make your 401k or 403b look like nothing. And uh, that the Lord will be passing out some medals. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And then we'll go out on parade dressed, right? We'll go on dress parade. And we'll be in our dress uniform, our white garments, our white linen in Revelation chapter 19. And uh, now when you get discharged from the Lord's army, by the way, there's, there's no discharge on this side of the rapture. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 8. The Bible said there's no discharge in that war. There's no discharge. But when you get discharged in eternity, the discharge that you want is an honorable one. Amen? You want an honorable discharge. And in the service, there's four discharges, uh, general discharges. The first one's an honorable discharge. The second one's a general discharge. And then there's a medical discharge, like if your left leg's shorter than your right leg, they, they won't keep you, they'll ship you, you know. And then there's an undesirable or a dishonorable discharge. And uh, to get an honorable discharge, are going to have to be some things that you're going to have to endure as a Christian. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to hear him say, well done? Well, sure you do. I do. You say, what is the likelihood of that? Don't worry about the likelihood. Just do what the Lord asks you to. Uh, for example, there's boot camp. Amen? 
If you're in the service, you have boot camp. And uh, history says uh, Timothy was under Paul for 10 years. Well, that's interesting because uh, Elijah, Elisha was under Elijah for 10 years. Didn't do nothing. You know what he did? Poured water over the prophet's hands. What's your job? I'm a water pourer. <laughs> you know? You ever stop and think that you're just a water pourer sometimes? You want to be the one calling down fire from heaven, burning everybody up? <laughs> Lord, just now, just pour some water on the old man's hands. <laughs> that's, all, that's it, you know? What if he just wants you to be a rag to wipe the dirt off of somebody? You know? There's boot camp and then there's training, amen? And then there's the battle. You don't, you don't jump right into the battle. Uh, even in the Old Testament, the Bible says when you get married, you're not supposed to go to battle the first year anyways. You ever stop and think about that? That's a weird passage, ain't it? You know what messes up a lot of homes? It's zeal on fire. That's what messes up homes. You get someone and they're trying to do something for the Lord and they get newly married and they got all this zeal and no wisdom, all zeal and no brains, blow their home all to pieces. Should be home cheering up their wife, spending time with her. Oh, we got to pass out tracks. Oh, we got to do this. Oh, we got to win souls. No, take care of your wife, stupid. Zeal on fire. You know, every time you get home and because you got a guilty conscience, you know, you got to read your Bible. Spend time with your wife. Are you telling me I shouldn't read my No, you need to rearrange your priorities. Amen. That's training. That's training. And zeal on fire, that, that is just as bad as knowledge on ice. That's a Christian that know, got his head so full of stuff and just cold. Just cold. That's terrible. So if you're going to be a good soldier, uh, uh, and the Lord, of course, he's the captain of our salvation over there in the book of Hebrews. And uh, always remember, uh, you've got to remember as a soldier, you have to keep a militant attitude towards this world. A militant attitude. It's real easy to get uh, cozy and comfy with this world. And next thing you know, you want to settle down in it. And next thing you know, well, you know, I got to do this and I got to make this bigger and I got to make this better. And I got to, whoa, 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 this world is not my home. I'm just passing through, right? That's why you got to keep a militant attitude about it. And if you don't keep a militant attitude towards this world and towards your Christianity, yeah, preacher, what's going to happen? Tell me what's, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You'll fall into the Laodicean mindset. You'll fall right into that Laodicean mindset. I am I'm rich and I have need of nothing. Can I be honest with you? That's how a lot of Christians come to church. I don't need nothing. Let me tell you what, my need list is a mile stinking long. I'll look at Revelation chapter 3 and we'll finish this little thought up here. Revelation chapter 3, you know the passage. One of the best things you can do from time to time is remind yourself, it's a reality check, of where you live. So I know my address, preacher, I ain't that senile yet. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what church period you live in. You live in the Laodicean church period. You ever stop and think and just try to reckon New Testament Christianity with the day and age you live in in 2023? You ever stop and think about Pentecost? You ever stop and think about Paul and his missionary journeys and how the gospel of Jesus Christ was given to him? And then you think about Walmart and then you think about Dunham's and McDonald's and think how that thing even lines. You know, does that even make sense? 
You ever stop and wonder if you even know why you're a Christian, what a Christian is supposed to look like, and where a Christian came from, or if you're just, you know, smoking crack? <laughs> look at Revelation 3. You need to stop and remember where you're at. You need to learn to identify the markers. Uh, verse 14, Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, of the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. Ain't that wild? You know, problem in Laodicea? No one's dedicated anymore. The works aren't dedicated. You know why our forefathers built this church building? I'm going to get real with you for a second. Don't get upset. You know, just hiccup and I'll be done. <laughs> you know why they built this building? They were dedicated. They had a goal in mind. They knew what they wanted. You know what Laodicea, you know what Laodiceans know? They're not dedicated in their works. I'm not getting after you. I want you to see the identifying marks of today. You know why less and less gets done? Because our works aren't cold and they're not hot. We're like, that's eh, okay. Well, you know, not important. Well, you know, my, my knee hurts. My back hurts. My ear hurts. It's not necessary. I'll tell you what, the, the, our forefathers, man, they were, they were dedicated. They were consecrated. They would come, come, you know, hell or high water. They would. And, uh, but that's, that's because we live in Laodicea. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, here it is, I'm rich and increased with goods. I say, I'm not rich. Well, no, but you got a $1,000 cell phone. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not rich. No, but your car now costs more than your house. If I was to buy a new car right now, any new car I bought that, that I would want to buy would cost more than I paid for my house. <laughs> I mean, unless you get, you know, an independent Baptist hunk of junk or something. <laughs> because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not. So you know what our problem is in Laodicea? We're ignorant. You see that? Knowest not. That's what the Bible says. But yet we have more access to more information than we've ever had. Siri, who won the game last night? Siri, what is, you know, the circumference of a 214-inch diameter tree? Well, the circumference... We know more. We have access to more. And that book says right there, Thou knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Ain't that something? Almost done here. You get to verse 18. You know the, the astounding factors latest in church period? Not only we're not dedicated in our works, uh, not only don't we, we're the most ignorant generation that was ever put out, even though we have access to more information than ever before, we need counseling. We need counseling in verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Ain't that the truth? There's more counselors out there today than there has ever been. Everyone needs counseling. Everyone's a wreck. Everyone's a mess. Everyone's broken down. It's counsel, 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 counsel. I need counsel. I need counsel. We're a mess. And then he says that thou mayest be rich and, uh, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. So we got a problem with something else, don't we? That the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. 
we got a problem with uh, our spiritual clothing. We're not putting anything on for the judgment seat of Christ. And finally, the last part of where you and I live, we're blind. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. we got problems with what we see. Our eyes are in the wrong place. Now, I've gone a little bit long there, but sometimes just help you. Just help you. And we'll stop there on uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Got to see where you're at.